C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products, keeping environments safer. CloroxHealthcare.com forward slash C. diff radio. Joining me today is a well-known topic expert, Joe Martin, Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Cost Containment Council, also referred to as the PHC4. Welcome to the program, Joe. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, It's a privilege to be on. Well, we are so thankful and grateful that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to join us here today. Um, we'd like to know, would you like to take a moment and share your background with our listeners? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, I, have, uh, I have been with the um, PHC4 for, uh, it'll be tw- it was 27 years, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I started here as a communications manager handling uh, the media uh, and public relations and so on. Uh, and uh, gradually became the communications director. And uh, nine years ago, I was uh, honored by our board of directors uh, in being selected as the next executive director of this uh, wonderful agency. Well, congratulations on your anniversary. And would you um, would you like to tell us more about the Pennsylvania Healthcare Cost Containment Council? Certainly. Uh, the Healthcare Cost Containment Council is an independent state agency in Pennsylvania, and by independent, I mean that uh, we are not under the authority of the governor or the state legislature, even though we operate under a state law uh, as an independent body. Uh, we have a true governing board that I report to of 25 people that are uh, a good representation of, I would say, most of the stakeholders in healthcare. So you have a, a large contingent of people who represent the business community, a large contingent of people who represent organized labor, and those two groups were viewed back in 1986 when our law was created and the agency was created as the people who pay for healthcare and who represent um the individuals who are who are using health care, who are paying out of pocket for health care, the consumers, if you will, as represented by, uh, as made up of um, employees in companies in Pennsylvania and union members um, who were both in those companies, but also who may have been getting their health care through their union's health and welfare funds. So that's that's the majority of the members, but then uh, we also have several representatives, each from hospitals, the physician community, nurses, um, consumers, insurance companies, and the Secretary of Health, the Secretary of Public Welfare, and the Insurance Commissioner also sit on our board. So it's a it's a very diverse board. Um, they come at the issues from different perspectives. Um, but they they are very committed and they get along very well uh, in helping to advance what the agency does. The agency only has one uh, mandate, um, and that is that the the hospitals and doctors and insurance companies are those entities that are identified in our law as data sources. They are required to submit the data that is specified in law and regulation to our agency. That's the only requirement. Uh, The philosophy behind all this was public empowerment, what we like to now call transparency, which was um, an effort to empower uh, those payers of healthcare that I mentioned before, business and labor, but also the providers 
uh, and the insurers with information that could be used to make better healthcare decisions and to help uh, restrain the cost of healthcare and to improve the quality of care. And the founders of our agency viewed cost and quality <clears throat> almost as one entity that uh, good quality care would cost less. And so there was a huge emphasis on let's try and provide information that can identify these opportunities to improve quality because we believe that will lead to um, fewer infections, fewer complications, fewer readmissions, and so on. Um, good care should cost less. So that was the principle. Um, we collect a lot of hospital data uh, and data from ambi-search ambi facilities, um, and we use that da data to produce a number of public reports, some of which people refer to as report cards. I'm not particularly fond of that phrase, but it's probably the most commonly used. And that's a way to look at um, primarily hospitals in the state here in Pennsylvania and which ones are doing a good job and which ones may not be doing such a good job, but it provides um, some targets for them and some areas that they could focus on that they might not be aware of to improve care. Uh, we were one of the first states in the country to do a physician-specific report. That's our report on cardiac surgery, which we've been publishing since 1992. Um, we have done a number of other kinds of reports that you might think of as more population health or public health-oriented, so reports on uh, diabetes, um, on preventable hospitalizations, on uh, readmissions, on the opioid problem, which is one of our newer uh, activities, um, and infections. Um, over the years, we've done a number of reports on that. So um, those are the kinds of things we do. That's how we do them. Um, it's interesting to note that uh, more than 800,000 copies of our reports are downloaded each year. Um, from our website. All the material that we produce is available on our website for free, and that, that site is www.phc4.org. Okay. Well, Joe, thank you so much for sharing all that information with our listeners and with us today, and amazing, amazing work you're all doing, and thank you so much for sharing that. Um, we wanted to know, Joe, what kind of data does the council collect? You have mentioned a few, um, but is there anything specific? Well, we collect uh, uh, we collect information on every single patient admission uh, to a hospital or to an ambulatory surgery center in Pennsylvania every year. So. Uh, the total of that is somewhere in the neighborhood of four and a half to five million patient records, and we've been doing that since about 1988. Um, so we have a huge data warehouse. Um, there probably isn't a, uh, a database anywhere around that I can think of that would provide the kind of information that researchers could use to do uh, longitudinal studies. Um, each each one of those records contains about 140 different fields. So we collect everything from um, the patient identifiers to um, the causes for admission. Um, we're up to our eyeballs right now and switching over to ICD-10 in the coding uh, area. And even though that's been a, a pretty heavy lift for everybody in healthcare, it's going to give us even more specific and granular data than we've had before. So um, just as an example, uh, and this might be of interest to the listeners uh, as we get into this topic a little more, so much of what, um, so much of what confounds uh, people, I think, on the infection issue is the difficulty of being able to identify um, how it manifests in different places. So when we first started to report on this, we were focused on hospital-acquired infections. 
Um, but as we started to see other things like MRSA and C. diff and, and so on, you begin to realize there's a huge community-acquired component to it. And it's very difficult often to tell, did the patient come into the hospital with it? Did it develop in the hospital? Do they leave the hospital with it, but it doesn't manifest for a few days later uh, when they might have gone to a nursing home or been, been discharged to home? Um, so one of the things this new coding system will do is enable us to very specifically identify um, where the patients are going. So when they leave the hospital, um, where do they go from there? Um, and we are able to track patients because, and I know this is a little controversial, but because we have patient identifiers, um, we can follow patients across these various venues of care and episodes of care, which is extremely important uh, to being able to better manage their care, something I want to talk about a little bit later when we start to talk about C. diff and sepsis in particular. Okay. Well, thank you, Joe. And Joe, have you seen an impact on cost and quality of care due to greater transparency and public reporting? Yes, we have. Uh, I mean, we don't have the ability to uh, kind of measure cause and effect because there are so many, so many components to healthcare and so many variables. And we only have the hospital side and the ambulatory surgery side. We don't have all of the other kind of spectrums, although we're getting at that now more and more through our um, uh, purchasing of the Medicare data from the federal government. So we, we're getting all of that data as well as the Medicaid program here in Pennsylvania. So we're going to be able to start looking at a much broader spectrum of care. But so having said that, what we can point to are a number of examples, though, that are, are more specific. So um, the American Journal of Medical Quality in 2008, uh, for example, uh, reported on a study that showed that the public reporting in Pennsylvania has been associated with lower mortality rates when compared to other states. And that further, uh, it was estimated that the public reporting in just six treatment categories had prevented 1,500 deaths per year. That's just six treatment categories, uh, one year, um, uh, a, a saving of 1,500 uh, patient lives. In Lehigh University, which is a very highly regarded um, university in, here in Pennsylvania, researchers found that our online, online reporting of heart surgery data had led hospitals to commit additional resources to quality of care in that area and had achieved an 8 to 10% reduction in patient mortality. And I would note that over the years, um, when we look at the mortality rate over the life of our public reporting uh, on cardiac surgery, as I said before, that goes back to 1992, we've seen uh, a decrease in mortality rates for patients um, above 50%, so it's dropped more than 50% over that time period uh, to the point where it's almost impossible in our statistical methods for a physician to get an above-average score um, because the, the overall mortality rate has dropped so low and something that um, you know, we're looking into in terms of how we go about our reporting on that in the future. When we look at overall mortality rates, um, between 1991 and 2010, uh, we estimate a savings of 72,000 lives and almost $3 billion in hospital charges because the mortality rates in Pennsylvania have gone from being significantly above national averages to significantly below in that period of time. Uh, and I just mentioned a couple of other things that... Um, we have filled a very, very important um, vacuum here in Pennsylvania on the reporting of opioid overdoses by reporting on hospitalizations for overdoses, which had not been reported on before. It was just the overall mortality rates. But also, and I don't think this has been done anywhere else, um, reporting on opioid um, overdoses and the presence of those substance, substances in new moms 
and in neonatal cases, uh, which has got the attention of the governor here as well as Department of Human Services. So, uh, and the last thing I'll note is that uh, Pennsylvania through PHC4 was the first state, and this is back in 2005, to begin to publicly report hospital-acquired infections, which is a major health care cost driver. And in the very early stages of that reporting, we saw that the, as those numbers started to come down, uh, the, uh, there was an estimated savings of about $370 million in hospital charges per year. So we believe it's having a, a big impact. Um, as I mentioned, more than 800,000 reports downloaded each year off our website, uh, which indicates a lot of consumer activity. Um, there's much more to do, and I, I would just qualify all of those things that I just said by saying, you know, we're not, we're not, compl- we're not totally responsible for those improvements and those benchmarks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really more of a tribute to the efforts of the doctors and the nurses and the other healthcare practitioners um, here in Pennsylvania that are working hard every day to make sure that their patients get the best possible health care they can get. Exactly. Joe, thank you so much for the comments and for sharing that important information with us. At this time, we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will be discussing healthcare-associated infections and hospital admissions with our guest, Joe Martin, Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Cost Containment Council. And please stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? washed your hands. Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thank you for joining us today. We are speaking with Joe Martin, Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Cost Containment Council. And Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks again for having me. Oh, our pleasure. And Joe, you gave us a thorough overview in our previous uh, before the commercial break. And we would like to learn more about the healthcare associated infections. Joe, how long has PHC4 been looking at healthcare associated infection, also known as HAIs? And what prompted you to begin looking at this issue? Well, we've been we've been looking at this issue since about 2000 and late 2003 into 2004. And uh, the reason why we began to look at it, where there were several champions here in Pennsylvania, uh, one in particular was a chief medical officer at a, a prominent hospital here, and there were other uh, infection control people um, 
who we had been in contact with over the years and, and, and on other issues, um, who began to talk to us about the importance and their concern about what at the time we were calling um, hospital-acquired infections, and now we tend to refer to them more broadly as healthcare-associated infections because of what I mentioned before. It's, it's uh, so many of them are community-acquired. Um, and uh, we began to look at some independent data. So some of these individuals we were talking to had some, you know, some limited snapshots of what was going on in their own institutions, and we thought, well, um, maybe we should start to look at this. And so we began to collect, with a lot of cooperation from Pennsylvania hospitals, we began to collect uh, data similar to what they were sending to the CDC, and uh in 2005, we issued a very small report. We, we call it a research brief because it's only four pages long. And it was just aggregated data. It wasn't hospital-specific. Um, and it wasn't broken down by a lot of individual categories. Um, and we thought that we were onto a, uh, an important issue, but we had no idea how big of a deal this was going to become. And um, we released the report, and it was front-page news on, in every newspaper in Pennsylvania. It was on the 6 o'clock evening news in every major um, city in Pennsylvania, but it also got tremendous national attention. So it was on um, the CBS Evening News. It was on ABC Evening News. It was on the front page of the Washington Post and the New York Times and USA Today and on and on and on. And um, we could barely keep up with the press attention, and, that, and it went on for probably a week after. Um, and we, we knew at that point that we had touched a nerve. Uh, and, um, and so we began to continue to work. We, we um, organized a committee that involved a lot of um, APIC members and um, other hospital uh, provider uh, folks uh, from around the state, and began to look at how we would report it, how we would um, present it, and so on, because the next step that our board wanted to take was a hospital-specific report, um, which would simply show you know, what the numbers of um, infections were in each hospital, what the rate was, um, and then some of the associated uh, negative impacts of contracting an effect an infection in the hospital, like longer uh, lengths of stay, um, the mortality rates were significantly higher, um, the costs were significantly higher to whoever was paying the bills, um, and so on. And um, about a year and a half after that first report, we released a hospital-specific report. Um, it was not risk-adjusted, but uh, we did group the hospitals into peer groups. So community hospitals were not being compared with uh, academic medical centers and so on. Um, so we took that off the table. Uh, and that report got even more notoriety than the first one did. Um, and that really, I think, helped to galvanize um, important discussions around the country about um, hospital infections, healthcare-associated infections, and what we should do about it. Um, we were we were heavily criticized in those early days for having the audacity to suggest that we could shoot for a goal of zero in hospital infections because everything we heard from the professionals in the field was that the vast majority of them were preventable through better hand hygiene, um, sticking to the processes of care, um, making sure pneumonia patients are up and walking, you know, all of those kinds of things that are simple and we all are familiar with. But because hospitals are such complex organizations and sometimes chaotic and there are a lot of variables, um, things get missed. And uh, so... Uh, we we felt that this was a really, really important issue to continue to focus on. Um, now, 
everyone is talking about the road to zero, meaning that goal of zero infections, the path to zero, and so on. And that's a, that's a huge, that's a seismic shift from where we were back in 2005 and 2006. So springboarding off that, after that 2006 report, the governor of Pennsylvania um, issued a statement that said something to the effect of, through the, through the reporting that from PHC4, we now know what a severe public health problem uh, we have with healthcare-associated infections. Now, what are we going to do about it? And he challenged the state legislature uh, to come up with a more a, a very aggressive plan. Uh, they did that. It was signed by the governor. And so now there are three separate agencies that are, have been marshalling their resources over the last number of years um, to help push this agenda forward. The Department of Health has got specific responsibilities related to licensing and monitoring and improvement plans. The Patient Safety Authority has got a huge educational uh, mission around this. And, you know, PHC4 continues to do the work that we've been doing, and in particular focusing on the, the very real impact uh, that these infections have on costs, uh, on mortality, on complications, and on readmissions. Okay. Amazing. And Joe, before we go to break, can you briefly explain to us um, the, what your data shows um, that the mortality rates for healthcare-associated infections have decreased since 2009 and which HAIs have the highest mortality rates? Yes, the... Um, we certainly see that the um, mortality rates have been increasing. Um, again, it, it depends on what, um, on which class of infection you're talking about. So there are some infections where we've seen tremendous progress. So um, the CDC is reporting uh, that nine, there's a 19% decline in central line-associated bloodstream infections. That's statistically significant. Um, there is a 10% um, decline in hospital-onset MRSA cases. Uh, uh, that's statistically significant. Um, there, but then, you know, we get into more difficult areas like uh, urinary tract infections and surgical site infections where we've seen a much lower uh, decrease. And I think that that just, you know, says that um, we continue to face enormous challenges on this. Um, there, are, um, there are some studies that have come out recently that suggest that our hand hygiene methods are not as rigorous as they might be um, because um, of the way in which they are monitored and recorded, and we ought to be applying more high-technology tech, high, uh, uh, mechanisms to do that as opposed to on-site monitoring and so on. So I think we still have a lot of work to do, but clearly there's been a tremendous amount of great work that has occurred over the last 10 years. Exactly. And thank you so much, Joe. We are going to pause here for a commercial break. When we return, Joe Martin will be discussing C. difficile infections and hospitalization rates. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4 CDF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. 
the CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C-difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 1-844-4CDF. 1-844-367-2343 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. Dip Spores and More, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Jill Martin, Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Cost Containment Council, also known as PHC4. Thank you so much for joining us today, Joe. My pleasure. Well, we're so happy that you're here and providing us with this amazing information about not only your organization, but how much you cover and, and what the data that you're collecting does for everyone involved in healthcare. Um, before the commercial break, you were sharing information about healthcare associated infections. One of the more popular HAI is Clostridium difficile, also known as C. diff. Your data shows that mortality and readmission rates are decreasing for patients with a C. diff infection. However, how does that compare in general to hospitalized patients? Well, in general, uh, we're seeing an 8% decline in the mortality rate and a 6% decline in the readmission rate for C. diff, I mean, for all hospitalizations between 2008 and 2017. The decreases we see in CDI patients uh, are particularly significant. That's a, a 42% decrease in mortality and a 14% decrease in readmission. So uh, much bigger gains there uh, on the positive side um, for CDI patients, we also see evidence of decreased mortality and readmission rates in our hospital performance report. Uh, in our most recent report, uh, mortality rates have declined in 12 of the 15 conditions examined, and readmission rates have also decreased significantly. Again, I would point out that among CDI patients, those uh, decreases are quite significant. Well, Joe, is there an overall trend toward better outcomes for patients? Yes, there is a, an overall trend. So um, the good news, I think, and I, I don't think this is unique to Pennsylvania, um, the good news is that hospital care and physician care and nursing care and all the other uh, professionals that are involved in providing care to patients just keeps getting better and better. Um, we hear a lot about how the United States doesn't compare well with other countries for things like, um, you know, childhood mortality and things like that. And that, that all may be true, but I think when you start to drill down into the kind of care that people get at, in the local communities, um, it's just getting better and better. And some of the statistics I mentioned at the beginning of this program bear that out. Okay. And, the age breakdowns among patients with C. diff infections. Has the pattern changed over the years, Joe? Well, we see similar breakdowns by age categories uh, in 2008 compared to 2017. However, the percent of CDI patients age 65 and older has decreased. Almost 69% of CDI patients 
were 65 or older in 2008 and 2017, that age group comprised only 61% of CDI patients. We see slightly higher rates in 2017 uh, for patients aged 18 to 64. That's a little troubling uh, as far as I'm concerned because um, I think the conventional wisdom associates many healthcare conditions to our elderly population, our older populations, um, and we seem to be seeing some increases in the younger, uh, the younger groups. And we can uh, chime in with that also because a lot of our callers, we have a hotline um, that we receive over 3,000 calls a year. And m- there's a majority of them now that are under the age of 65 that are um, dealing with and being treated for CDI. So we understand that. And that's across the USA. So, Joe, your data shows 372 C. diff infection cases among pediatric patients. Were any of these patients newborn? None of them were newborns. Um, Most of the pediatric patients uh, where CDI was their principal diagnosis, um, many of them were in for cancer-related issues. The average age of those patients was was eight years old. So uh, you were not seeing it in newborns. Okay. And while the mortality rates for patients... Um, with CDI increase with age, the readmission rates are similar across the various age groups. Were you surprised by that finding? Uh, we were. Um, given that the expectation is that the older populations would require more frequent readmissions. However, when we released, we released a, uh, a research brief on sepsis a few months ago and saw a similar Results, these types of findings um, provide opportunities to dig deeper into the data to identify why these different age groups are being uh, readmitted. Okay. And, Joe, your data shows that the percentage of CDI cases that developed during the hospital stay has decreased. Uh, do you have any thoughts on why that data shows a decrease? Well, I think that. You know, as with many other issues, um, when a healthcare issue begins to gain a lot of um, media attention and where there are a lot of education efforts that get trained on it, we tend to see some fairly uh, significant improvements. We've seen that with diabetes. Uh, We've seen it with asthma uh, and other types of issues. So uh, we've seen it with the infection issue in general. Uh, We've seen it with MRSA. Um, So uh, I think it's that heightened awareness and, you know, the the sort of targeting of these types of things within the healthcare system uh, is probably driving that. Okay. Joe, I have a question for you um, about the sepsis report. Can you elaborate on the CDI with sepsis? Well, um, I think this is a growing problem. Uh, we issued a report on sepsis a couple of months ago, and the increases in sepsis cases was was alarming. Um, they were up uh, for hospitalizations. They were, it was up 89% um, over an eight-year period. That's a huge increase. Um, and as your listeners probably know, it's a system-wide infl- inflammatory response to infection. So um, they, they're very closely related in, in many ways. On the good side, in terms of sepsis, the mortality rates were down 47%, and the readmissions were down 22%. So it suggests that once, once a hospital understands that this is a sepsis case, they're doing a much better job of rallying the resources of the hospital um, to saving people's lives, to keeping them in shorter periods of time, to cutting down on the readmissions. That's all great. Um, but it's very troubling that the number of cases is increasing so dramatically. Uh, I think it, it, it probably speaks to the fact that we have an increasingly older population. That's certainly true here in Pennsylvania. We're one of the oldest states in the country. But just sort of the baby boomer 
demographics in general. Um, and it also speaks to the challenges that we have to manage patients who have chronic disease because that's where many of these cases, um, that's where we were seeing many, many of these sepsis cases were in uh, patients that also had other types of chronic disease um, and the difficulty of managing that across the various venues and of course across the spectrum of care that those patients receive. Uh, the, the issue of CDI and sepsis, I think, is probably, and I, I want to point to, if your listeners have not seen this yet, there's a terrific study in the October issue of the APIC journal, the Association for Professionals in Infection Control, uh, and I think it's the first study that has been done on this uh, that shows a correlation between sepsis cases and CDI. And it points to the use of broad-spectrum antibiotics. And this is where we get into confounding variables and unintended consequences um, where um, the bundling system and electronic health records that are being employed to better manage the care of sepsis cases and, and other things as well, but in this instance, sepsis cases, may be leading to an overuse of antibiotics to treat sepsis, which is then triggering the CDI infections. And uh, and appears to be done, at least in many cases, without going through the prior authorization uh, and appropriate use committees within the hospital. So um, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I, I tend to think of healthcare as one of those whack-a-mole games that my kids used to play where you see a problem, the, the mole pops up, you hit it with a hammer, and another one pops up elsewhere. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think a lot of hospitals now are beginning to focus on that. The, the hospital association here in Pennsylvania has got a, a terrific hospital engagement network project going, funded by the federal government, which we're participating in as well. And they're beginning to see um, some improvements in relation to both the treatment of sepsis cases as well as uh, them spiraling downward uh, with these C. diff infections that come as a result of um, antibiotic resistance. Exactly. And thanks so much for sharing that with us, Joe. And I'm just going to um, share this information. If anybody is looking for more information about sepsis, uh, besides the outstanding article uh, from October of last year, 2017, uh, with APIC, also they can go on to the Sepsis Alliance uh, website and also World Sepsis Day uh, to gather more information about prevention and uh, what is happening with sepsis research today. Joe, right now, I thank you so much for sharing the uh, information on C. diff infection data with our global listeners. And at this time, we are going to pause already for a commercial break. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free 1 844 4CDF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. 
Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean, dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more, and we thank our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Joe Martin, Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Cost Containment Council, also known as PHC4. Welcome back to the program, Joe. Thank you, Nancy. You're welcome. And Joe, we have appreciated uh, all the information that you have shared with us today. And what can you tell us about uh, what's on the horizon for the PHC4 this year? Well, we are going to continue looking at this issue. The a lot of the numbers that I uh, quoted um, earlier on CDI, uh, we intend to publish in a, a research brief in the coming weeks. So uh, hopefully uh, it will find our way to uh, to your listeners. Um, the opioid issue continues to be a huge thing uh, here in Pennsylvania as it is elsewhere. Uh, and we will continue to focus our efforts on that. And one of the things we didn't talk about today is the cost of care and how much uh, sepsis is, uh, is the most expensive uh, treatment category for hospitals in the U.S. And when you think about the increases there and this connection to CDI, um, it's a little sobering. The, uh, the last thing I'd like to say, I think, though, is that uh, we've talked a lot about kind of these sobering statistics, um, and I just want to leave with uh, this one thought. In my job, it's one of the best things about it as I get to work with all these great people in the healthcare field, and uh, you know, every time I think things are, you know, kind of going downhill a little bit on the healthcare side, you know, I think about how hard these people work um, and what great things they do every day. Um, and that healthcare is getting better as we get smarter, um, as we become more technically able, and so on. I would just encourage uh, your listeners to do as much as they can to educate themselves about these issues. It's important for us to be educated patients and consumers um, in order to participate in making sure that we get the best possible care. And I really want to commend. Uh, your organization, Nancy, and the Association for Professionals and Infection Control, uh, and all the listeners that belong to those organizations and that participate in this work um, for the great work that you do every day. Uh, There's no question in my mind that it's saving lives. Uh, Joe, we thank you and your organization and all that you're doing to provide the data to help us continue on the same path. And thank you so much for that. And, Joe, do you have any information, um, your contact information you can share with our listeners? Well, the best thing uh, in terms of our organization is to go to our website, which, again, is www.phc4.org. That's P as in Peter, H as in Harold, C as in Christine, the number four, dot org. And all of the information that we've talked about today is available online uh, with the exception of some of those CDI statistics. They're not out yet, although we do have a report from about eight years ago on, on that particular issue. 
Well, thank you, Joe. And the upcoming publication that's coming out on CDI, you know that we'll share that with our listeners and on our website as well. And we thank you. And we thank you for being here with us today and for discussing healthcare-associated infections, C. difficile infections, sepsis, and hospital admissions, and for introducing the PHC4 to our global listeners. You've been listening to Joe Martin, Executive Director of the, the Pennsylvania Healthcare Cost Containment Council. And we thank our official sponsors, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit their website, cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash radio. A moment now to uh, give you some information to save the date uh, for the sixth annual International C. diff Conference. An expo will be taking place on November 8th and 9th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. For additional information about the conference and for early bird registration, please visit the C. diff Foundation website, which is www.cdifffoundation.org. We would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge all of the organizations around the globe who are dedicated to improving health, the organizations and professionals researching and developing new products addressing C. difficile infection prevention and treatments in environmental safety. To learn more about C. difficile infection clinical trials in progress and how you may be able to become part, uh, take part in a clinical study, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, click on clinical trials in progress. Please help them help you to help others. We send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated and recovering from a C. difficile infection and the many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Corrala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.